Well, hello, and welcome to episode 9 of the Bomb City Podcast. This episode is my interview with Brian Jennings of Custom by Jennings out in Concord, California. We recorded this interview out at, uh, at his day job, Bay Auto, out in Concord, California, a shop that he's worked at for almost 20 years. It was a pretty cool place. I mean, his dad, Kirk Jennings' shop, is just next door. And there's a few other custom car builders in the area, too. So it's uh, it was pretty neat to see those guys work together. In fact, at a few times during the interview, people would stop in and ask questions like they would any other day. And it was neat to see that dynamic there. Uh, I had a great time getting to know him. Not only is he a, a custom car painter and builder, but uh, he's also a pretty successful motorcycle drag racer. So we had a lot to talk about. Uh, Brian's a great guy. I had a good time getting to know him, having a chat with him. And I really had a fun time listening to this one when I was putting it together. So I hope you guys enjoy it too. So here it is, episode nine, Brian Jennings. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, my name is Brian Jennings. I'm 35 years old from Martinez, California. I got into the trade because of my father, um, Kirk Jennings, who uh, had Kirk's Body Works in Martinez for 15 years. And uh, I grew up in a body shop, sweeping floors spraying primer on stuff that I wasn't supposed to and getting in trouble and then uh, I went ahead and went through high school always loved cars uh, when I was 16 my dad and myself bought a 1966 Oldsmobile Cutlass convertible and that was my first introduction into the custom world towed the car home as a non-runner car was filled to the gills with trash got home and my dad's style was to clean and vacuum and detail the turd as it was to see where we were at and uh, so I went ahead and did that and oh, shut that and um, first order of business was getting it running so we put the old mystery oil down it and new plugs wires cap rotor all that good stuff and she fired right up went forward and backwards and so uh, my, I think my first, uh, my first project on that car was I did disassemble the top of the motor, wire wheeled and cleaned, pressure washed, rattle can the motor back, gold, satin black, the inside of the fender wells, and that was kind of my first project. And uh, at the time I was huge into baseball. I was playing baseball year round uh, for the Lafayette Generals in the summer in Los Lomas High School. And so my dad gave me the old DA and said, okay, start ripping it back. So I started DA in that thing and um, my dad would come behind me with his custom touches. He um, welded all the uh, fender extensions to the car, which was pretty tricky because the fender extensions were uh, cast pop metal so I, I got to watch him do that he also then took the bumpers and shaved the bumper bolts so it had the floating effect and at the time in the mid to late 90s uh, a monochromatic car was still semi-acceptable so not having money for chrome um, the bumpers went ahead and got the car was was finished off in a in a real light gray primer epoxy very nice and smooth had some shine to it so the bumpers got epoxied just the same as the outside of the car and my dad uh, rounded both door corners front and back lower front lower rear shaved the door handles and uh, I think that was about all the modifications that he got and then my dad did all the body work yeah. Um, I wasn't involved in that because I was playing ball, going to school, and didn't really know about it. I mean, I'd seen it a lot, but, you know, that was my dad's forte was 
metal and slinging mud. Um, and then uh, funny thing is, is that the shop I'm at now, Bay Auto Body, that I've been here 18, 19 years now, this is where my car got primed when I was a kid because my yeah. dad knew Todd, the owner of Bay Auto Body. And so they brought it down here and primed it. And after the car was primed, I took the dash apart and sanded that all down. And uh, my boss that I work for now actually painted it pearl white for me because we envisioned painting the car pearl white. That never happened. The car got sold when I went off to uh, Chabot Junior College to play baseball and just didn't think that, that was going to be a good car to commute in and worried about people yeah. stealing it. So I figured better sell it than have it be stolen. Um, and so time goes by, I get a little S10 when I turn, you know, 17, 16, 17. Um, and my dad, same thing, helped me lower it, torque thrusters, exhaust. And that was my first dabbling in paint. I painted all my lower chin spoilers and mirrors and stuff like that. And had a cool little car for a high school kid, you know, or trucks, I guess. And then uh, continued playing ball for the next two years at Chabot College. And uh, after that, I was tired and ready to move on. And uh, so I asked my dad where I could go to get a job since my dad had closed down his shop um, and gone to work for, for another shop um, being a general manager. And uh, he told me to come see Todd over at Bay Body in Concord, California. And he said he's one of the last good men in the trade and he thought that would be a good place for me to start and so uh, at the time he wasn't hiring so I went to work for another shop um, got my feet wet did a bunch of prepping priming blocking you know a little bit of everything so even though the shop wasn't the place for me to land for forever it was it was definitely a good start to just learn a little bit about everything yeah um, and then as time went on, uh, I went back over to Todd and uh, told him that I'd like to, to learn how to paint. And uh, he was pretty excited uh, since he was painting and trying to run the business, check in parts, write estimates, answer phones. And uh, he wasn't very efficient in getting cars painted. Um, yeah, he was the only painter here when he first... Yeah, he was the owner and painter. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And this shop, Bay Auto Body, has always been uh, roughly six guys. It's been a small shop. Um, and I, I, I like the feel of the small shop because I truly believe that we get to do better quality work than a bigger collision shop um, because there's less hands touching it. And I feel the less people that work on a car... Sometimes the better. Things don't get overlooked. And Todd is uh, a stickler for quality and, and likes to put out good work. And, and that's what I'm about. So that was a good fit for us is um, coming here and uh, kind of got under his, his wing. And he showed me, you know, mixing and measuring and color matching and, and priming and blocking. And, and then, uh, you know, he'd throw me a bone, tell me to go paint a bumper, go jam the underside of the hood. And... I guess he liked what he was seeing and then he kind of just let me loose and um, so for 14 years I was the head painter um, in, in, in control of the prep work and all that stuff so um, you have a quarter oil around here dude no. huh? we're doing an interview right now 
Oh, it's cool. <laughs> okay. That's not I, I don't think I have any oil around. You can, the best place would be like up there or on the side of the wall over here. Um, that guy, Jimmy, that just walked in on us, he worked for my father at Kirk's Body Works as a painter. Uh-huh. And when I came to work here, he brought over a picture. And that picture was of me as a little tiny boy, and he was the first one to ever hold a spray gun in my hand. Uh-huh. And we reconnected when I was a lot older. And yeah. uh, he has a shop around back. That's and cool. He's still going hard in it, painting and, you know, but... Uh, you guys have a nice little community over here. Yeah, we do. It's uh, Everybody just kind of floats from shop to shop. And if we don't have something, they probably do or vice versa. So it, it's kind of cool to have other shops in the area. Um, and there's no real competition, you know. It's, yeah. If somebody comes by here looking for Jimmy's, JJ's auto painting, we send them back there. We don't try to take it and vice versa. It happens all the time. Cool. It's, it's the way it should be, right? Right. People come in and they don't know where they're going. And it's like, you know, there are people that would be like, oh, well, I can do it for you. But we, we all just know our place and, and you know. If you're looking for us and you go see Jimmy, he's going to send us and vice versa. So anyways, that's a little off subject, but good guy, um, worked for my father and was actually the first one to ever hold a spray gun in my hand and have me in the paint do the painting. Um, little did I know I'd be doing it for a living, um, a lot of years later. So, um, anyways, I, I was painting full time here, collision, um, one of the few shops that'll still take on a restoration job. And so I was doing a lot of completes. I would say the most restored car that I've ever done here at this shop is definitely 67 through 69 Camaro. I've probably done 12 to 15 of them in my lifetime here. Um, And uh, so I I painted a lot, did a lot of work. Um, When I figured out painting and got it down and I understood chemical and how things worked, um, that's when I realized that my artistic ability that I'd always had um, in school, you know, for all my elective classes, I took art. There was no Spanish, there was no algebra 15. I was all about art and, uh, you know, thankfully my parents, you know, um, realized how passionate I was about any kind of art, you know, the 3D art, drawing, uh, sculpting, anything, I, I was into it. So I took a lot of art through school as my elective classes and um, it kind of paid off in the end you know I didn't I was doing it so I didn't have to take Spanish and and math and all that stuff I mean there was definitely that part of me Um, but once I figured out the painting process I was like shit dude I can do graphics on cars like rolling tattoos you know I was like I I can do this so I started playing around with just little stuff that I had at my house um, wakeboard decks um, just anything I get my hands on to practice and paint and play around with and uh, so that's kind of how I got into panel painting and pinstriping and, and you know that kind of work was you know going through school and knowing that I was decent at art and and uh, I, I do think that it's a it's a it's a really good thing that I learned from the bottom up because yeah. as I've told you before there's so many good artists out there um, but sometimes their preparation and their finish work isn't the greatest because they they don't come from an auto body background right um, and there's a lot of artists that don't come from that that kill it and do a great job so I mean 
you got you got both sides of the spectrum but it was good for me to learn how to create a foundation that wasn't going to fall and how to finish a job so it looked really nice when it was done yeah um and so i think my first uh my first big job was on my wife to be's truck she had a 92 gmc standard cab pickup truck and she got into an accident and it came into the shop and the paint job on it was silver and it was pretty bad it was definitely done in somebody's garage or something and uh so we fixed the truck and uh, i talked my boss into letting me color sand the whole truck down and, and repaint it and so while i had it in the paint booth that was my first ever car that i ever did graphics on and i did a full flame job on the hood to the back of the doors and uh looking back on it it's, it was pretty uh she loved it her father loved it they she, her father took that truck more than she did and i did the flames in a in a ghost in a pearl because uh, at the time uh, my skills at pinstriping were nowhere near where they where they needed to be to stripe a full flame job so i did them in pearl so i didn't have to stripe and uh they they look cool man i was i was happy and and it all turned out decent um i would do a lot of things different now but that just comes with experience and then uh I just kept doing more and more stuff, and then I, I figured out that motorcycles was uh, a good money maker. I mean, everybody with a Harley wanted some sort of a design, graphic, flames, and... Uh, and everyone that's learning lays it down eventually. Yeah, yeah, so I, I started picking up the motorcycle jobs, and that was great, because it was something that I could take home, work on at the kitchen counter, and bring it back, and shoot it, and then take it back, and stripe it, and... Uh, so that's kind of, uh, I guess, where my reputation starts is is from motorcycles. Um, yeah. How'd you get into drag racing? Well, I've always, uh, my, my father was always a big fan of the NHRA and, and uh, always took me to drag races as a kid. And uh, I love the speed, the smells, the, the people. Where would um, you guys race at? Well, we, we would, uh, we race now, my home track is Sonoma Raceway, All right. Sacramento, I race a lot there as well, and then uh, for the bigger races, we go to LA, Vegas, Phoenix, Utah, um, and as, as time's gone on, gone on, and I've got better um, at riding the bike and, and racing and understanding what bracket racing is all about, so... It's uh, and I was I was raised around motorcycles. My dad's been a true Harley, you know, fan his whole life. Had nothing but Harleys. Um, and when I first got my first motorcycle, I brought it home, and he says, "Where are you gonna put that?" And I said, "In the garage." He says, "You're not gonna put that Japanese thing in my garage." <laughs> um, of course, he let me put it in the garage, and um, I think I scared the shit out of both him and my mom having a bike it at. Uh, 20 years old a street bike and uh i i, I would come home late and uh, they'd still be awake and i'd be like why are you guys awake well we can't go to sleep until we know you're home safe huh. well i thought that was a crock until i had my <laughs> own kids and now i understand you know how important it is and how how much you know the love you have for your children wanting them to be safe so yeah. um so the, my, my drag racing kind of started on that bike it was a little honda cbr 600 and uh, I would take it up on Wednesday nights to the street legal drag races and drag race. And uh, it was just more for the thrill of the speed and getting to bang through gears and not having to be chased down by police. And yeah. so that's kind of how I got my start. And then um, 
I sold that bike and bought a GSXR 1100, which was a huge jump. And uh, it was all stretched and lowered and kind of set up for like a street strip bike. And uh, that was definitely one of those bikes that I bought and I should have never bought it. And um, so I ended up painting that bike and that was when the real fire came out, man. And I was all about it and watching videos. And, and so I did my bike black and real fired the whole thing. And, um, was racing that and uh, I, I with with no wheelie bar on the bike Launching it off the starting line was a little bit sketchy and So I rode that for a while and uh, I had a pretty close call I was going down the track and I was in like third gear and I blew a high-pressure oil line that ran between the header and it, it burned a hole through it wow. and uh, it spit oil out all over me all over the bike the tires the track I was skating down the track um, and I just told myself just hold on and, and uh, let it do what it's got to do and thankfully I didn't hit the pavement and I uh, came back and I was, I was green real green at the time and I had a lot of uh, fellow bike racers that have been doing it for a long time saying that they couldn't believe that I didn't crash because uh, they've seen people get a drop of oil on their tire and, and wad it up. Um, so at that point in my life, I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to get a purpose-built bike. And uh, so I still have the GSXR, obviously. Me being a prideful do-it-yourselfer, I said, I'm going to build my own. Worst mistake ever. Um, but before I built this bike, I was going to go race to Sacramento with my father. It was all Harley drag race, but they let the imports in there. They had a class for the imports. And uh, I had runnered up the year before, so I was kind of excited to go back and see if I could win the deal. Well, I was, uh, at the time, that's when I was building my first car. It was a 50 Chevy two-door. And... Uh, I built it over my friend's house. He had a shop behind his house, and he wasn't a shop guy. He wasn't a car guy, and he just happened to buy a house with a shop in the back of it. Yeah. And he says, you're more than welcome to build a car here. And yeah, that was huge. I mean, the thing had a hoist, had stuff that I needed to do a, take a body off and do a frame. And so in return for him letting me do that, I went over there one day, and I helped him clean up his yard and, and mow lawns and pick up crap and just just help the guy out because i i was very appreciative that he let me build that car there well in doing that we were drinking all day we were drinking beer and having a good time listening to music shirts off mowing lawns weed eating well i said uh i said hey my wife called me tessa and uh she wants to have you over for dinner you know as a you know just come over she'll make fried chicken and this and that and he's like yeah right on i'll be over in a little bit i'm a shower so I took off, and anyways, <clears throat> he comes over to the house, and uh, I said, man, you got to hear the bike, dude. I said, I got it tuned up and ready to rock for this weekend. And so I fired it up, and uh, one hit of that race fuel on my nose, I said, man, I'm going to go. I, I, I'm going to go do some burnouts. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. So I'm in shorts, T-shirt, tennis shoes, no gloves, no helmet, and I go out front, and I'm doing burnouts up and down the street. And uh, my wife is out front with our brand new six-month-old baby, Morgan. And uh, I've always been an advocate of safety. Um, I just, I always like a full-face helmet. I always like gloves. And that comes from my father. My father always rode 
you know, for the for the fact that, you know, if shit does go bad, you know, let's give ourselves the best chance to, to survive. Well, I guess when you got a little booze in your system, that goes all out the window. And I rode past my wife after doing two burnouts up and down the street. And uh, she's watering the lawn and she's got the baby in her arms. And she looks at me and she shakes her head like, you idiot, what are you doing? And I just gave her the shit-eating grin and I thought, well... I'm probably pressing my luck here, so I'm going to do it one more time. So I ride past her. She shakes her head. I go down to, to the stop sign. I come back, and uh, I went ahead, and the tire was nice and sticky, and I whacked that thing at about 40 miles an hour, and it came up and stood straight up, and it came up so fast, and I tried to pull the clutch in, and I looped it right in front of the house. Um should have been dead if I didn't go anywhere but down the middle of the road if I would have went into a car or into a house shit could have been different but uh, I uh, laid it out and all I remember was seeing the black of the pavement and the blue of the sky and the black of the pavement and it was just like being a washing machine and my wife said you never even stop I just took off running after the bike the bike was sliding up the street and oiled down the whole middle of the street looked like a forest fire and picked that bike up and put it in the garage and walked around in a circle for about 15 minutes and looked down at myself and went, oh my God. Uh, I had no skin on my palms. I had no skin on my forearms. Um, I burned a giant hole through my uh, hip area. Both my legs on the insides were just completely thrashed as I went down trying to keep my face off. Banged up my head a little bit. So I... uh, thought the police would come i thought i was going to jail well that never happened so that was that was good and uh my wife was crying hysterically and uh i spent three days in my house and never went to the hospital funny thing is is my wife works for john Muir hospital we have the best health care benefits known to man my mom 20 some odd years john Muir. so i was just being hard-headed and uh, it took me three days to finally call my dad. And I said, Dad, we're not going racing this weekend. He says, why? And I said, well, I wadded the shit up in the front of the house. And he goes, are you okay? And I said, well, yes and no. So they came over that night, and uh, my mom started crying. She said, if you lose your limbs because of infection, you're stupid. Blah, blah, blah. So got the old ride to the hospital for my dad. Three days of healing, they scraped it all back off x-rays and that was disastrous um so here i am i healed up from it and my wife told me that i was never gonna ride that bike ever again and uh and then i had the incident on the racetrack after that with it popping the high pressure oil line and so that's when i said i'm gonna build this bike into a drag bike so i spent all my money bought all the best shit put this bike on the track which is that one up there the the real nice looking one and uh I'd never been on a full-on drag bike, and it's a whole different ballgame. You got wheelie bars, you leave at full power, and it's like riding a rocket. And uh, first time I went up there, put it on full throttle, went to let the clutch out, and the bike just went and bogged. Darn near smacked my helmet off the handlebars and down the track. Long story short, I, I never really got that bike working right. When I did get it working right, I had the same disaster as that Sonoma was in a qualifying pass same th- hit third gear i heard an awful noise i pulled the clutch in there was smoke there was oil 
I ended up sticking the number three rod right out the front of the motor and ruined everything. The only thing I saved out of the motor was the transmission. Um, so then I bought another bike, a Vance and Hines GS 1100, 1981, and it's been the best thing I've ever bought. Yeah. Um, to put it in perspective, I spent 20 grand building my own bike and I bought this bike for three grand and it's got me every win and accolade in my career. Um, you know, it's a nine second bike, 138 miles an hour. It's a great bracket bike. Um, and so my passion for motorcycles definitely comes from my father and, um, you know, I guess the need for speed. Yeah. Um, and I think after wrapping the, the bike like that, most people would have hung it up for good. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely nerve wracking to, to get back on it, but it was just, uh, it was something I was dead set on. It was something that I always wanted to do. Um, as a kid, when my dad took me to the drag races, all I ever wanted to watch was the pro stock motorcycles. I just thought it was so cool. And, uh, so that's how I got into drag racing. And, uh, that's uh, my true passion. I do love the cars. I love working on them and creating. But um, at the end of the day, if there's a car show or a drag race, you won't see me at the car show. Um, you may see my car because my dad or somebody may take it. But uh, so that was hard when I got the 60 Chevy done. Um, I missed two races. Uh, we had a double header. And I missed two races to go to Santa Maria, and, and that killed me. I did have a great time with the family, and it did make it a little sweeter that we, my father's Cadillac and, and, the, and the Biscayne won in the same class for top five mile customs yeah. out of 850 cars, you know, in our, not in our class, but total. And that was a huge accomplishment, especially finishing the car the night before at 2.45 in the morning and loading it into a trailer and getting it down there. Um, yeah, well, let's talk about the about the '60 for yeah. people who aren't familiar with it. I, I'm sure you've seen pictures of it by now. It's the uh, the different colors of blue uh, paneled '60 Biscayne with a custom front end, back end, molded everything. Um, you were telling me earlier the story about how you brought it home. You want to? Yeah. So I uh, at the time I had had the '50 Chevy, which was my first car, um, and that was the rat rod craze. So the body was all broached out bare metal but I did the frame all candy pagan gold and motor and airbags and um so I had a little extra money and I was cruising Craigslist and I saw this 60 Biscayne and uh the guy posted a picture up of the car and he also posted up a picture of uh of uh, what it could look like so I uh saw the the ad on Craigslist and the guy posted up a picture of a white one that was all done up and it had been in street rotter or something like that and I was like man that that's got potential now it wasn't done the way way I thought but it was it was more done street rod billet wheels had a rake to it nice motor all white had all the trim everything on it no no custom modifications but I thought well that, that's a pretty cool car so uh I went out to South San Francisco and I bought this thing for five grand and it was a complete car. It uh, had rust in the quarters. Um, it had no floorboards in it. Um, it had some tin put over it so I could drive it home and it had a Honda Civic seat in it, ratty door panels. But for the most part it was all there. And so uh, I thought, well, I'll just buy this car and keep it in stock, you know? So the car, I drove it home. And I made it home to my friend's house where I built the 50 Chevy and he was going to let me keep it there for a while. And I pulled in the driveway and the right rear tire popped and we were just happy we made it home and didn't have that happen on the Bay Bridge. That was, yeah. that was cool. So 
So time goes by and it sits over there, sits at my parents' house, gets no love whatsoever. And then uh, my parents decided to sell and retire in Arizona. So they said, hey, you know, we got to get this car out of here. So I went and picked it up and drove it home, tinkered with it a little bit, cut the springs, put it on the ground, had these horrible red rally wheels on it. It was terrible. Uh, big old tired balloons on it. So I wasn't really trying to put any money into it at the time. I was just playing around with it. And I had sold the 50 Chevy, so that was my only ride, you know. And uh, then I brought it down to my shop here, Bay Auto Body, and my dad said, Brian, don't take it all apart. Just do one panel at a time. That way you can enjoy it, drive it, you know, this and that. And uh, I uh, didn't listen. And I went ahead and popped the windshield and the and the back glass out. And that's kind of how it all started. Is, uh, it became inoperable and couldn't drive it on the street since I had pulled all that shit out. And, um, so I started one panel at a time and uh, did the rust repair in the quarters and uh, at that time I detrimmed it and knew I was going to shave the whole car. Um, part of that, you know, obviously the door handle has got to go for a uh, mild custom in my mind and, uh, and then some of the trim on the car was really nice and I thought about keeping it but uh, I also was budget-minded, having a wife and two kids, so I said, shit, the more I shave off this, the less I got to polish and chrome and do that, so and that was that was kind of my theory behind that at the time, and um, so the first modification I did on it was I cut the side scoops into the quarters and uh, made my mesh inserts and welded the round rod on the outside instead of the inside, and I got nothing but shit about that <laughs> from my dad and other people that had done it, and told me son that round rod is supposed to be on the inside and i said well i did it on the outside and that's how it's going to be and uh and so later on in life when it was in santa maria talking to uh pat canal he said he's seen every side scoop treatment known to man on that car and uh, he gave me a big compliment by saying that that's the best side scoop he's ever seen in his opinion and so kind of made me feel better after thinking about this all this time that i'd done something that wasn't yeah. What other people thought it should be. It's um, totally cool. It's, that's one of my favorite things yeah. about the car. And so at the time, I put the expanded metal in there. And uh, I doubted myself on that over the years. Like, man, is it too new looking for a 60s custom? But they were done, and I wasn't going back. So um, then after that, you know, my dad helped me shave the door handles. And uh, I welded up a bunch of holes down the side of that thing. And... Um, going around back, I decided that I wanted to weld the stainless onto the deck lid and the quarter fin so that it would ex give it an extension. Um, and there again, those weren't, those are always beat up on those cars from people running into things. So I hammered those things out and welded them to the car and molded those in. Got rid of the emblem on the trunk and the lock cylinder hole. And you smoothed out the, like the coat back there too, right? Yeah. So on the Biscayne, obviously, instead of uh, three tail lights on each side, it's got two. And in that panel, it has three, uh, like, bead-rolled grooves in it. And uh, so I went ahead and got rid of those um, just to clean it up and spent a lot of time shaping around the license plate box and making it nice, getting rid of the factory seams. And... Uh, 
And then I think the biggest modification on the car that probably doesn't get noticed that often, except for people that know what they're looking at, is that the, the hood has been extended three quarters of an inch as well as front fenders. And uh, the splash shield and everything has been welded together into one piece. Um, and that was to get rid of the what I thought was an unsightly front aluminum molding, very boring, flat, didn't fit well uh, from the factory. And so uh, we eliminated that by extending the hood and uh, my father, Kirk Jennings, did that for me. Um, that was a little bit over my head at the time. Yeah. Um, and so we got that all done and uh, smooth the splash shields up front, you know, where the, where the blinker was, we got rid of those and molded those and then out back, uh, same thing, I took those over to uh, Kurt Hill and uh, we had visioned the exhaust pipes coming through the, you know, lower balances. Well, when you build a, a car and it's stretched out over eight, nine years, uh, you know, you do things without fitting it on the car and then you go put the car together for the final assembly and realize that there's no way exhaust pipes are going through all those bumper brackets. So uh, back over to Kurt Hill and he went ahead and made those nice little bezels uh, with the expanded metal to carry that theme front, back, and side. And uh, so uh, I think in the future there'll be a reverse light that goes behind there to make it all make sense. And, yeah. and, um, and then my dad built the grill out of the stock, stock grill. We cut some bars out and added the expanded metal and he made his own uh, chrome adornments out of uh, half round brass and then uh, he was really struggling on on a center uh, piece you know um, the stock one is very big and has a Chevy emblem in it and yeah. we were trying to get away from that and uh, he said he woke up in the middle of the night and thought man let's put a spray gun head on there so he ran it by me and I was like yeah dude that sounds rad and so we took an old Bink siphon feed and pulled it all apart and uh, I shouldn't say we my my father did and and uh, you know he's that grill is uh, pretty intense for being based off a stock grill yeah. um, a lot of hours a lot of stuff uh, behind that uh, you wouldn't believe how it's all put together little screws and all sorts of stuff so my dad did a really killer job on that and that's that's a really nice piece on the car yeah that's the thing i really love about early 60s mild customs is you know if you're building a 50s car there's there can be a formula like oh but the merc put a soto grill in it right like there's so many things that have been done before but for 60s customs like there's really not a rule book you got to work a lot harder to make it make sense and that's that's what i like so much about the front end like you mentioned extending the hood. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't look like you extended it. It just looks like the way it's supposed to look. Right. And that's to me the mark of a the perfect custom where you you can't even necessarily tell right. anything's been done. It just looks right. Yeah, and it, and it does. It, you're right. It's. Uh, I think that. I think that's the whole purpose of any customizing is whether it's on a motorcycle, whether it's on a car. Um, 40s, 50s, 60s, is if you can do something and makes it look like it was factory, um, you know, you've done done well. Yeah. Um, and so the basis of my car and my father's Cadillac um, was we built these cars on less is more. Um, yeah. You know, you see cars that have everything 
under the under the custom world done to them and and they're great uh, we appreciate all that work but I think our style has just been derived on trying to do um, stuff very tastefully and and keep it mild and um, let the car speak for itself yeah. um, you know the paint job on my car I would say is pretty darn simple to other people it looks extremely complicated but um, that car was painted in three days it started on a Friday and was done on a Sunday um, minus the striping um, uh, which Eric Reyes a good friend of mine who I drag race with um, Eric Reyes designs in Sonoma California has been lettering race cars since 1981 um, he striped a lot of cars for just about every customizer out there, East Bay Speed and Custom, Daryl Hollenbach. And when he said, hey, I'd like to strike that car, I said, hey, you're on it, dude. You know, best in the business. Why am I going to try to struggle through this thing? Uh, a lot of straight lines on my car and uh, miles of striping. So he, he striped it and uh, pretty proud to say that he striped it because uh, he's one hell of a striper. He's a great friend, great drag racer. Um, I mean, the guys, you know, if you can win the Von Dutch Pinstriping Award down in Pomona, uh, that's a pretty huge accomplishment. So, yeah. um, the, so the striping on the car is really cool too, because it's not just the panel outline; it's got little back and forth. Yeah, so. he does a lot of floaters that create panels within panels, yeah. and for me, I call that free graphics. Right. So you give him a you give him a paint job, and he he. He's always told me he sees it as a place that he can he can turn it into a whole different paint job just with a brush. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff for me on motorcycles and watching his own artwork that he's done um, just by adding little floaters and little back and forth pinch driving on it. Um, he creates a whole different feel for a paint job. So it's kind of fun to watch a paint job that you know you do or anybody does and then you give it to a guy like Eric and you get it back and it makes you look like a superstar because yeah. he's taking your paint job to the next level um, so you know beside and the paint job was derived off of my love for uh, Winfield and Watson um, I don't think you could beat those paint jobs I mean looking at books from the past and even the present um, I've always dug it, so I knew that I definitely wanted to do a panel paint job on my car. And uh, being able to be lucky enough to paint a car with Gene down in LA, and watching that, I just tried to take the two, the two artists and creators from that that paved the road for guys like me, um, and and put my own twist on it, and and that's that's how she came out was, you know, mild panel job. It, it like I said, it does look complicated, but it's a it's a pretty simple little panel job, and I knew I wanted it blue. Blue's my favorite color, so yeah, I went with blues. And you showed me the sketch in the back of the shop where you panel that in. Yeah, in yeah. 60, like, yeah, was it? That was that was actually the car that was on the Craigslist ad that the guy said this is what you could have, and so I printed a bunch of those out and just colored on them. And uh, ironically, um, you know. That, that sketch was done probably, you know, eight, nine years ago, and I put it up on my uh, spray spray cabinet just to remind myself of where I thought I was going. And when we did the car, and Reyes was here, and we were putting tape down and everything like that, and the car was done, 
um, we had a guy renting our paint booth and had seen my car. And he came out and he said, man, he said that, that drawing that you did looks identical to your car. So I went back there and looked at it and I'm like, no kidding. It, you know, it's, it had been embedded in my brain for so long that, you know, we didn't even have that picture in front of us when we were doing the car. And the car came out almost identical to the drawing that I did, you know, way back when. So, but, you know, the interior done by Tony Gomes, Tri-Valley Auto Glass, uh, was really lucky to work with him. Um, we were on a serious time frame to get the car done to debut it at Santa Maria. Um, 2016 and so uh, you know I thought it'd be a great idea to put T-Bird interior into a Chevy well um, everybody says how great it looks and how how wonderful it works well it was a lot harder than I thought I ended up cutting floorboards and sinking seats down and um, had help from my buddy Logan Stipe who works for uh, Lucky 7 out in Antioch uh, with the back seat and I got it to a point where it was as far as I could go with it and then I handed it off to Tony and his crew and they, they worked their magic and made it all work. You know, they, they came up with the back waterfall. I had, I had started on that, took a stock T-Bird waterfall and, and cut it apart and did a bunch of stuff to it and I finally pulled it out of the car and threw it on the ground and said, the hell with it, you know, I, I don't know. Let the upholstery guy figure it out and, and they did. They cut it into three pieces and... You know, so I was glad I saved the piece because I thought it was junk. And they was like, no, 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 we'll just cut it and do this and do that. And so um, so I was really happy with the way the interior turned out. And um, that Tony working with me on the project anyways, you know, in, in such a short notice and, and a grind to get the thing done. So Yeah, it turned out great. The interior is one of my favorite parts yeah, of the car. It's, it's fun interior. I always wanted pearl white interior. And uh, now that I got it, it's a it's a pain in the ass to keep clean, but it sure looks nice when it is. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, we were talking earlier about some of the confusion with the with the name of the shop. Do you want to help straighten that out? So the shop that I work for is Bay Auto Body. I've been here 18, 19 years, and uh, when I started doing the custom motorcycles and stuff like that. I actually called myself Paint Innovations, and I thought, oh, that's a great name. I had stickers, I had shirts made, you know, I was just having fun with it. And uh, and then when I met Eric Reyes, we were talking, and he says, you know, he says, you do the work, you should sign your name. It should be your name. And I said, okay, you know, that makes sense, because he says, if somebody looks at a car and it says Paint Innovations on it, they don't know they, what, is, what is Pain Innovations, who is Pain Innovations. So at that point, I changed it to uh, Customs by Jennings, um, using my name, using the word custom. Um, and uh, so my dad uh, has his his little shop that he does his metal work and body work in, and, and he's uh, Jennings Custom Restoration. So it does get confusing, but the whole family is kind of... Uh, been involved in cars in the custom world and so uh i call myself customs by jennings my dad calls himself jennings custom <laughs> restoration so um you guys do work together a little bit but yeah yeah we, we do work together on projects you know obviously he's a he's a metal panel beater and 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 a and a, and a molds all of his own stuff and then what happens is the car comes over to us and 
we prime it and block it and he blocks it and we prime it and block it and then uh me and my brother and reyes usually tag team on on my dad's stuff and and you know we painted this yellow cadillac for him and did that so you know we work side by side his shop's right next door to bay auto body and uh so it does get confusing. I, I do get the phone calls. Hey, is Kirk available? And it's like, how'd you get my phone number? Well, I'm the only one that's on the internet with a little website or a Facebook or Instagram. So, um, so that that's how the the Jennings Custom and the Jennings Restoration works. Is same name, a few different words. Do you, do you have any plans for uh, customs by Jennings? There, I mean, there's always been plans, um, but as far as is opening a shop um, in the Bay Area is getting harder and harder um, because of the rules and regulations and uh, I see it working here Um, it's just people are always coming in with their hand out wanting money for a permit so that you can you know flush the toilet more than once Um, so that, that's kind of steered me away from getting my own full-blown shop is that one, it's a lot of money and two, um, a lot of regulations. Um, yeah. So it's, it's tough. If you, if you want to, I think the, the best way is if you're looking to get your own shop is you buy something that's turnkey or rent something that's already set up, that's permitted and, and stuff like that. And, yeah. and still that's, um, it's just a lot of, a lot of money. And, um, and like I said, my, my passion right now at this point in my life is my family and my drag racing um and the freedom that i have by not being tied down to my own shop and being able to leave and go away for a couple days and and do what i love to do at this point in my life is more valuable than saying hey i got my own shop you know um and i've been very lucky to uh have my boss todd here the owner of the shop uh let me basically run my customs by jennings out of his doors and um you know he enjoys seeing the artwork come in and and get done and um he's got friends that need stuff done and motorcycles so um it all kind of works hand in hand together so it's it's not too bad of a deal you know for right now yeah that's cool one thing i was thinking about sitting here because it's it's more of just a collision shop they don't do custom stuff correct and you do custom stuff on the side Mm -hmm. um what what do you do differently going into that? I mean, um, I think it's just a uh, it's a lot more fun to work on uh, you know your old school and and be able to think outside of the box. Uh, yeah. You got a collision job. You have specs that a car needs to go back to. Uh, you have a color that comes from a factory that you have to match perfectly um, because in the collision trade, we always say pre-accident condition so the goal is to give you back your car making it look like nothing ever happened to it with the custom stuff there is no rule book there is no guideline there's no you know certain amount of time that you get to do something i mean the the grill on my car is a perfect example yeah, there's no book time on that there's you know 250 hours in the car or in a, in a grill and you know in the collision shop you got times that you got to make, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's definitely the biggest thing is that with the customs, uh, the sky's the limit. And yeah. especially, especially for me when it's my own car, I don't have to say, Hey customer, do you like this or do you not? And you know, with doing collision, you have to 
you paint a bumper and it's off on the color and the customer says I don't you know it's not gonna fly and you know yeah. so with the custom world I think it's a little bit more relaxed especially when you're doing your own stuff that you can create and come up with ideas and uh, just like my side scoops I thought I was doing it I, I, I was doing it the way that I wanted to do it yeah. outsiders looking in were like oh no man it's it's the wrong way you know and I just stuck with my gut and said well no yeah I'm gonna go against the grain and do it and you know in the end it all panned out it all you know yeah. people don't look at it and go Jesus you did that <laughs> the wrong way you know and and that's what I like about custom is there I don't think there is a right or, right or wrong you know there's definitely things that don't look as well as others sure. but that's all in the eye of the beholder you know who's to say that the guy does doesn't love what he did to his car and and people may look at it and go geez that's hideous but you know at the end of the day yeah it's truly lies in the, in the person looking at the car yeah and that's what I like about the custom world is that you know the sky is the limit you you do what you want you create and and you feed off of other people I mean I truly believe that everything's been done yeah you know I don't think that anybody's coming up with any new custom you know stuff for the custom car world I mean and look how long it's been going for and, and the look at all the the wonderful craftsmen we've had in this trade I mean guys that are you know passing away that have been doing this since the 50s and 40s it's like yeah. it's hard to do something that hasn't been done in my eyes yeah. you know you can definitely spin it off and try to do something better or tweak it or whatever but I mean how many times how many different French headlights have you seen in a car? Well, you've seen a lot. But how many more can you, you know, graft into a car without making it look like it's not right? So I, I just think that, you know, it's all in it's all in how you do it and how you present it. And um, that's, that's kind of where I go with it, you know? Yeah. The collision stuff is... Just work. It pays the bills, you know? Do you see building custom cars as more of an art or more of a craft? I'd say, you know... Uh, it's definitely a craft. I mean, you gotta have you gotta have some sort of skill. Um, yeah. You know, I think art applies to a guy that could draw a concept or put a cool paint job on the car. But at the end of the day, you definitely have to have a skill um, to to craft these cars. I mean, yeah, that, that's how I see it. You know, because somebody that doesn't have the experience and that doesn't know how to use the tools. Um, it'd be pretty difficult to build a custom car if you didn't have that, that skill and craft in your back pocket. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. But, you know, this, it was it was fun to do the car. Um, man, I, got, I had a lot of help. I would, I would no way, shape, or form say that I built that car. Um, Chevy built it. I just played with it and tweaked it. And um, I got help from from every angle from my wife supporting me letting me be down here till 2:45 in the morning um to my dad and my brother and eric reyes and eric lind and tony and all the people that are involved in it i i i want to give credit to everybody that touched that car because without those people i couldn't have done it you know yeah um it was just like this this last weekend at billetproof it won best interior and uh, I was really happy that Tony from Tri-Valley or Acme Auto, Auto Interior um, was there with me and, and uh, 
we had a nice dinner that night and uh, I felt it was right that he'd take that trophy to his shop and, and show it to his guys that yeah. worked on that car and boost morale and, and uh, he didn't want to take it but I forced him to take it because it's like you know that that was your doing yeah. it wasn't cool. me you know and so I, I, I try to try to share uh, all the accolades and the love that I get with that car with everybody that's been involved you know that's important to me you learn any big lessons building that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I learned that if you're going to do a car, don't spread it out over eight years <laughs> or nine or whatever yeah. it was. Um, that, that's, I think that for my next project, if I do try to open up a can of worms and, and get myself back into a, a full-blown uh, restoration custom, whatever it may be, um, is have the time to dedicate to it have the have the means to do it because there's nothing worse than pulling a car in and out of a shop every day um in the rain bare metal bare bondo nowhere to put it um and then you know i i've wrecked that car probably three four times pulling in and out of the shop hitting shit trying to put it in holes that it won't fit into and having to go and redo stuff and it's like so I think that's my biggest lesson is that I won't ever let something go that long. If I, if I can't do it, I won't even start it. Yeah. Um, but for me, that was the biggest thing. It was, yeah. it was disastrous having to pull a car and bare metal out into the rain and try to cover it with plastic and the wind blow it off and having to, you know, go back in and, um, you know, I, I just jammed the car and I was backing it into the stall. And I didn't have door latches in it, and I was looking over my right shoulder, and the left door swung open, and I put that door right into the opening of the of the bay door, and just wadded up my door, and was like, "Ugh." So, my advice is don't start a project unless you can uh, dedicate some time and energy to it. I mean, I know shit takes a year to build. I mean, now we have all these TV shows that say you can do it in a week, and I guess you can if you have all the baddest builders in the world together in one place and all the tools and all the product there. I mean, sure, anything's possible, but, you know, six months to a year is, is probably yeah. about all I'd want to invest, you know, because it's been, it's, it's a thorn in your side. You lay in bed, you're thinking about it, thinking about it, taking up space and wondering when you're going to get this or that. And I was pretty proud of myself, though, after taking that car apart and having it apart for that long. I only lost two pieces, and they're probably somewhere. I'll probably find them someday. But um, I lost the two lower stainless moldings that go around the cowl of the windshield, and uh, so we had to do the old eBay on those. Um, but that's been my biggest learning. Yeah. My lesson learned is you can't drag them out that long. Yeah. You know, shit sitting around is no good. It's kind of funny, like your dad's advice going into it: don't pull it apart. Yeah. At least nag them. Even more insight to where he was going with Yeah, it. exactly. I mean, you know, I could have left the glass and the regulators and everything inside that car so that at least when I pull it outside in the rain or whatever, it could have been, you know, somewhat waterproof. But, you know, yeah, that was definitely, I mean, that's that's how my dad did his Cadillac. My dad brought it home and did like he did with my, my uh, Cutlass. He cleaned it and detailed it and, you know, it was like polishing a turd. It really was. It was rust through the rockers, and, you know, he cleaned his interior 
and, and, and just drove it and, and enjoyed it. And then uh, he just started doing piece by piece by piece until the point where you cannot avoid breaking the car down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, lessons learned, definitely. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Any other projects you got coming up? My projects are uh, are pretty much all off referral, and, and uh, right now I got a couple motorcycles going for graphics and full bagger stuff, and uh, so I never really know when my next project's going to show up. Yeah. It's just kind of, you know, I, I really... It, I really do try to steer away from the cars because they're so big and working at somebody else's shop, I never like to have something here tying up space. Sure. Um, so anything I do on a car is, is basically Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, and, and so I'll do a complete paint job on a car and shove it out and uh, go polish it at somebody's house or have them bring it back and polish it. but. I like the motorcycles because they're small. They break down in a bunch of pieces, and I can take them back and forth between the shop and work on them in my house and bring them here and spray them, and they don't tie up much room. So <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, I told you before, I've always wanted a pre-65 Volkswagen Bug, and uh, I think after doing a car that's 19 feet long, um, I think I'd like to do a, a nice round, small car and, and uh, just have something to cruise in and, you know, I've always wanted one, so I think if, if there's anything in my future, it'll probably be a Volkswagen Bug. I know it's kind of crazy for the custom world because, you know, people think you just move on to the next custom car, but, um, and, and uh, that's not to say I won't ever do another one. I just, uh, this one wore me out, so yeah. I need a little break and, and then uh, do something a little bit smaller, something that I could actually keep in my garage. Right. <laughs> so. Awesome. Yeah. That's about yeah. it. That's about it. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank fun. you. I appreciate it. Fair enough. Go okay? Yeah. Except for the interruptions, but... I might leave them in. They're kind of kind of charming. Like yeah. This, this place, this... That's unusual, I think, that people get along so well when they're so close to each other. Well, you know, it's funny. Since I've been here so long, these guys have watched me grow, yeah. right? You know, not only physically, but in the trade. And uh, I think it's good. It, it's It's... You know, with Jimmy popping in and being the first guy ever to hold a spray gun in my hand, uh, it's funny how roles reverse because now he's coming and asking for my advice and my help and what I think and what, what, what could he do better. And uh, so I guess it's not always true that you can't teach an old dog new tricks because he's always he's always said, you know, he learns from me. And, and uh, you know, the motorcycle shop across the street where the guy Dave came in and asked about his gas tank is... Uh, yeah. I raced go-karts with them when I was a little boy. My dad got me into go-karts, you know, roundy-round stuff, and I raced um, competitively with uh, Rick at R&M Cycles out in front of us and his son, Ricky, and uh, we've always been close. Rick's been here for 36 years. He's the oldest tenant in the building, and uh, he refers me a lot of work as well. You know, he's a repair shop, but guys come in with a den on a gas tank, this and that, and so, uh, you know, we all feed each other around here, and, and uh, I do some days wish that people didn't want to come and ask me questions during the day because I try to get my shit done, but um, at the end of the day, it's it's kind of a, a compliment that, you know, I, I have these people wanting my input and, and yeah. advice on some of this stuff, so um, it, it, all, it all works out, man. 
Awesome. I'm just a spoke in the wheel. You know, <laughs> I just try to get in where I fit in and do the best I can every day. And whether it's a collision job or whether it's a custom paint job on a Harley or, you know, I'm, I'm probably one of the stupider custom painters because I do try to repair other people's stuff. Um, and that's a... Uh, it's tricky. It's, it's really hard to go behind somebody that's done a paint job, you know, six years ago, a custom paint job, and then a guy, you know, dings his front fender and wants you to fix a candy paint job with graphics and pinstriping, and you're trying to match colors and, and fake things. And um, so uh, I was told by uh, a guy I apprenticed with, Jeff McCann, who, who painted a lot of stuff for Drone and, and, and Ness, um, before he passed away, he gave me all of his uh, his all his templates of all his paint jobs he'd ever done, and in digging through that, I actually found a uh, kind of like a release uh, from from you know if you spill gas on your gas tank, filling gas up and it bubbles around the edge. Sorry, bud, that's that's on you. There's no fixing my paint job, and he was uh, so he's a smart he was a smart painter. Yeah. And he told me, Brian, don't ever fix your own stuff. You know, it's a custom paint job. It'll only be good that one time. Yeah. And it's the truth. I've, I've even gone back and fixed my own stuff. And when you're dealing with candies and multiple layers and stuff like that, you almost have to start over to make it look right. You know, yeah, we can fake it and, and get it back so it's not as noticeable as a dent or a big chip. But when I look at it, I know it's not right doesn't look like the day I did it and so advice to painters don't don't repair your own paintwork don't repair anybody else's paintwork <laughs> too much work yeah. not enough money well that part I definitely gotta leave in <laughs> cool so, all right thank you so much for your time. well all right there you have it thank you so much for listening what do you think did you like it did you learn something I know I did uh, I had a great time getting to know Brian and getting to see a shop out there. It was a really cool experience. You know, Brian's a, a really hard worker whose work's finally paying off and him getting some recognition for it, and I couldn't be happier. Uh, one of the neat things about this podcast has been getting to talk to people that are close to my same age and are wildly successful in custom cars. It, uh, I find it really inspiring, and I hope you do too. So hey, if you're still listening, there's something you could do that would really help me out. Um, I want to help this show get some more visibility on iTunes. So if you're an iTunes user, if you could go on the uh, the Bomb City page there and write a review, that would be really helpful. It's uh, definitely going to help me in the future in lining up more guests for this show. So that's it. That's all I got. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time.